0: Well, I want to talk to you today, and I've just kind of entitled this, Your One and Only Life. But I want to start talking to you about having a life verse. Now, the Bible doesn't say you have to have one, but uh, when, I, when I received the Lord, one of the verses that uh, the person shared with me was Romans 10, 13, which says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it just kind of became my, my, my life verse. As I look back, uh, I got saved with it. Then Jeannie and I were missionaries in, in Mexico and planted our first church. And man, we were just getting people saved. Then I did work as an evangelist. And it's like, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as a pastor, uh, m- those of you that have been here for years, you've listened to me talk to people. You know, they come forward to receive the Lord. I talk about uh, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is how you call on his name. And it really did for me kind of like uh, express my life in Christ. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, And as the years passed, more recently, I, I kind of feel like God gave me a second life verse. Now, I'm a pastor. I get two. You just get one. But this is, this is the one that I really feel like God has impressed on me. It's in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, it really clarifies what matters the most. And it really clarifies for me how I want invest my life. You know, Jesus said that the great commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second was like it. And he said, and it's love your neighbor as yourself. And I really see both of these in there. I see where you're steadfast, you're immovable, you're abounding in the work of the Lord, and you're, you're, you're loving God, but yet you're reaching out and you're loving people. You know, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now it talks about here about how our labor in the Lord, it's not in vain. Now, if you go just a few verses before this verse in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about why your labor in the Lord isn't in vain. It tells us to have a perspective, an eternal perspective. It says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, At the last trump, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. What it's talking about is talking about Jesus is coming back. Every single New Testament author, some of them only wrote one little paragraph, but every single one of them talk about Jesus' return. And it's telling us that even though you die, your physical body dies, the real you does not die. You know, we live in a world where a lot of people think, well, you know, you're dead, lights are out. That's it. But the Bible says, surely there is a hereafter. In other words, this is not the end. In uh, Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, tells a story about a man that died he said so the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom so the beggar he died they put his body in a pauper's tomb but angels carried him when your physical body dies the real you that lives on the inside is going to step out and angels at least two of them will be right there and faster than the speed of light You will be carried, and you will be taken to one of two places. Death is not the end, right? It isn't the end. Paul talks in in 1 Corinthians about his time in Ephesus. This is what he said. He said, if in the manner of men I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. Some of you have have seen that movie, The Gladiator. You know, and they put him in a casino, in a casino, in a uh, a coliseum, (laughs) I don't know where that came from, (laughs) but I think the Lord's telling you, stay out of that casino. (laughs) You're thinking of going, it's like, get out. So they they put him in a coliseum and they give him a spear and they'd they'd release wild animals. That actually happened to the apostle Paul at Ephesus. He fought those wild animals in that casino. He says, what advantage is it to me? (laughs) Help me, Lord. Send your hand, pray for him, and Lord, help him. Help him. <laughs> Coliseum. All right, here we go. What advantages to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. What he's saying is this. He said, if, if there is not an eternity, he said, then just eat, drink, and be merry. He said, live a hedonistic lifestyle, if that's all that there is. He said, you just live for yourself and live for pleasure. He said, but there is an eternity. There is a judgment day. And the Bible says to you and to me in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. Someday, every one of us, we're going to stand before Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In other words, you and I are going to stand before Jesus someday, and we are going to give an account for the way that we lived our lives, the way we spent our time, our money. We're going to give an account to God. You know, that verse said, immovable. I don't know if you realize this, but the world pulls on you every day. In fact, if you don't know that, it's because you're sleeping. You're asleep. The world is trying to pull you, put you into its mold, to have its morals, its values, its perspectives, its priorities. But the Bible says we're to be immovable. I love that about the verse. Jesus talked about some of the things that can move us off-center. In uh, Mark 4, 19, he said, the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and it chokes the word of God and it becomes unfruitful. So you can live a Christian life and be unfruitful. You say, but I've heard the word. I've read the, I read the Bible. Yeah, but the Bible says there's some things that'll choke that word. You know, somebody said, well, the word of God is the most powerful thing. Uh, listen, there's some things that can choke that word in your life. Jesus mentioned specifically the cares of this world. When I think about that, I think about bills. How many have some? Some might be having you having some problems with the IRS. Cares, relationships, family, marriage, kids, work. Now, all of those things are good, but when they become your number one priority instead of the kingdom of God, they will choke the word of God in your life. It will become unfruitful. Jesus mentions the deceitfulness of riches. Now the deceitfulness of riches is that riches comes to everybody and says, I can make you happy. I can make you content. I can give you purpose. I can make you somebody. If you just had this, you would not hurt anymore you'd be important. You'd be safe. But it's a lie. It's a lie. Money cannot make you happy. It can't make you content. It can't give you purpose. It can't make you somebody. And listen, it can't make you safe. You may think if I just had this amount, I'll be safe. It can't do it. It's a lie. It's the deceitfulness of riches. Now, the only time that it's out of place is when it becomes your priority, when it becomes your priority over God. Jesus mentions the desire for other things. Now, none of these things are bad. Car, boat, house, hobby, entertainment, leisure. Those aren't bad things. But when they become your priority, they will choke the word of God and it will become unfruitful. And there can be desire for other things. It can be forbidden things, maybe something on the Internet. But it will come in and it will choke the word of God from your one and only life. It will choke God's Word. What this verse is doing is telling us we're going to be immovable. It's calling the best out of us. It tells us to stand firm. I, I love the NIV version says it like this, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, it's saying to always, it's saying not halfway, not halfway, not dabbling, at all times, in every way, always abounding. It's a full bucket right there, always abounding, full bucket, every day, moving the purpose of the kingdom of God forward, intentionally, strategically, passionately. Now, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but uh, Jesus prayed this prayer. And Jesus prayed, and he said, you need to pray. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest. He said, because it's so great. The harvest is great, but the, lo- but the laborers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest that he send forth laborers into his harvest field. How many of you have prayed and God answers your prayer? How many of you have answered a prayer? You know, we, we talk, we're so thankful when God answers our prayers, but I think it's time that we answer God's prayers. And Jesus prayed, God in the flesh, and he said, Lord, send laborers into the harvest because the harvest is great. In fact, it's rotting, but the laborers are few. We need to be like Isaiah who said, here I am, Lord, send me. We can answer that prayer that Jesus prayed. We can answer it by becoming involved in the harvest by moving the kingdom forward. It says, knowing your labor in the Lord, it's not in vain. You know, there's a lot that we do. It's gone. It's done. It vanished. It's wasted. There's things that you do and you know, 10 years from now, it will not make any difference. And a hundred years from now, it won't make any difference at all. But there are things you can do. I love what Bernie said. Bernie said that, that you can take that federal reserve note, which is temporary. You can put it in the kingdom of God and it becomes eternal. There is an eternal reward. Now, when Jeannie and I lived in Mexico, uh, we would shop at a market. Now, the price was never the price. You understand that? You were expected to not agree with the price. So we're in the market downtown Guadalajara and Jeannie finds this blanket that she wants. And she's looking at the blanket, and the guy comes up. He says, 1,000 pesos for the blanket. You know, and she says, I like that blanket. So I said, I, I, I say, I'll give you 400 for that blanket. Oh, no, that's terrible. He says, I'm losing money at 400 pesos. He says, no, 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 no. He says, no. He said, but, but because you're my friend, I've got a special price for you. He said, I will sell you the blanket, for 800 pesos. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, that's, that's way too much. And, and uh, he's, no, no, 800 firm. And so I say to Jeannie, I said, let's go. Now, I know what's going to happen when I start to walk away. I'm going to become even more his friend. So so uh, I start walking away. He says, oh, come back, come back. He says, very, very special price for you today. He says, now, I will... He said, I'm not making anything, but I'm going to let this blanket go for only 600 pesos. And I'm like, ah, that's, that's too much. I start kind of like, Jeannie, let's, let's go. And he said, he said this, he said to me, he said, he said, my blanket will outlast your money. He said, when your money's gone, you'll still have that blanket. He said, yeah, 600 pesos, is going to be gone. But your blanket, that blanket will be with you. It's been 40 years, we still had the blanket. All right, the the 25 bucks or whatever it was we spent for that blanket, it would have been gone. Now, there's things that you can do that they're going to be around 40 years from now. They're going to be around 100 years from now. They're going to be around 1,000 years from now. They're going to be around 10,000 years from now. And they're going to be around a million years from now. Because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In fact, Jesus said, you can't even give a cup of cold water to someone and not receive a reward. Uh, Hebrews 6.10, God is not unfair that he will forget what you've done, nor the love that you've shown for his sake in ministering as you still do to the saints. You know, my life verse is not just call on the name of the Lord. My life verse says, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord, is not in vain. It keeps my life in perspective. And I want to encourage you, get a life verse. Get one that keeps your life in perspective. In fact, get online and and just put up where we have your story. Just, Just let us know what is That verse that God's speaking to you. Billy Graham, his life verse is, you will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Martin Luther King Jr. This was his life verse. Amos 5, 24. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. But I think you should have one that keeps things in perspective. Beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not when it's just convenient, not occasionally, but always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're laboring the Lord. It's not in vain. Almost 300 years ago now, there was a great revival in uh, part of Germany, and we refer to it today as the the Moravian Revival. Uh, two of the young, th- 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 this revival was so strong, they had a prayer meeting 24 hours a day for over a hundred years. 24 hours a day for over a hundred years. Well, two young Moravians heard about an island in the West Indies where there was an atheist British landowner who had nearly 3,000 slaves. And he said, no preacher or clergyman will ever be allowed to stay on his island. He said, if they shipwrecked, He said, I would make them stay in a separate house until they leave and wouldn't let them talk to anybody about all that God nonsense. Well, two young Germans in their 20s heard about that. And they decided what they would do is they would sell themselves as slaves to that British planter. And that is what they did. Now, as they were getting on the ship to leave, their family members were emotional. They were weeping. This was an extreme sacrifice, and they're asking, was it wise? Was it necessary? And as they were casting off the, the housing, and that ship was beginning to move out, those two young Merivians, they locked arms, and they raised their voices, and they shouted. And he said, may that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. And that really became the, the battle cry of that revival that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. Today, you are his hands, his feet, his voice. And really, truly, he has no other. Now, so often today, as Christians, we think that Christianity is simply what you believe. Do you believe the right things? But, but Christianity is not just about what you believe. In fact, What most people consider belief is not Bible faith at all. It's not Bible faith. It's simply a mental acknowledgement of something. See, if I were to go down to Division Street and I were to find a a homeless person who's a drug addict, who's addicted to alcohol, living under a bridge, and I say to him, do you believe the Bible is true? And they say, yes. Yes. Do you believe that Jesus was born of the virgin? And they say, yes. Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that he rose again? Yes. But what he has is mental assent. Mental assent. He knows those things are true, but it's not Bible faith until it moves you to change the way you live. It's not Bible faith. It's a mental ascent. Yeah, that's true. But if it doesn't move you, if it doesn't change you. See, that's not Bible faith. Another example might be if we had somebody walk through those back doors and, and, and they're, 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 you, you can obviously see there's, there's something wrong with them. They're, they're stumbling and they come up here to the platform. And, and I say, is there a doctor in the house? And the doctor does a quick examination and says, all things being equal, if this person does not have a drink of water in the next 30 minutes, they will die. And I say to him, do you believe that it's true what the doctor has said? That if you don't drink in the next 30 minutes, you're going to die. And he says, yes, I believe that's true. I haven't had anything to drink for seven days. And if I don't drink something in the next 30 minutes, I believe I'm going to die. And I said, well, tell me your story. And we begin to talk. And after 10 minutes, I say to him, he still hasn't had a drink. Do you believe that if you have a drink, you'll live? He says, yeah, I believe it. All things being equal, if I don't have a drink in 10 minutes, I'm going to die. I believe what the doctor said. And we talk some more. And it gets down to one minute. And I say, do you believe if you don't drink, you're going to die? And they say, yes, I believe if I don't have that drink, I'm going to die. And we're talking. It goes 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 0. He falls over dead. Now, did he believe? Not biblically, he didn't. Because you don't believe biblically unless you do what you believe. You have mental assent, but it's not Bible faith until it changes what you do. It's not just knowing it. You can have it in your head, but faith is not of the head. It's of the heart. And when it's in the heart, it changes what you do. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of your heart, the actions come. Jesus said it's out of your heart, that your heart that your life flows. Therefore, the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life, what you say, what you do. It flows out of your heart. Now, I want to begin with my first closing right now first timothy chapter 6 verse 17 It says command those us rich in this present age not to be haughty or proud nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living god who richly gives us all things to enjoy let me just say when god blesses you with something he wants you to enjoy it don't hide it don't feel bad don't feel guilty let them do good that they may be rich in good works ready to give willing to share storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Now notice it says let them do good. Now there's a lot of the Bible that talks about being good. But this part of the Bible talks about what? doing good. It says be rich in good works. Now now, notice it says, it starts out talking about those that are, are rich. It's saying you are rich when you have a lot of stuff, got a lot of time. Then you are rich. But you don't be rich until you begin to do something. You're to be rich in good works. Rich in good, But say works. Works. Now, again, works won't save you. But once you're saved, you were saved from sin, but you're saved to good works. And Jesus said, let let them see those good works that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. And again, he's talking about those eternal rewards. Again, Jesus says you can't even give a cup of cold water to somebody and not receive a reward. Now, as you're blessed, you should give more. You should do more. If you look historically around the world, people worked every day just to have enough food to put on the table, just enough to eat. But most of us here, we get two full days off every week. Many have just worked five days a week, eight hours a day, and they get enough to eat. They got enough to wear. They've got something, place to live. They've got a, something to drive. And yet we say we have less time than we've ever had before. And our lives are more busy, more full, more cramped full of stuff than they have ever been before. Because we're prioritizing wrong things. Now, look, God didn't give you time to be a curse. He gave you time so you could organize. So you could it could be a blessing. But when we have wrong priorities and we're not seeking first the kingdom of God, it's not good. Our lives get off tilt. And literally what happens, the word of God is choked and it becomes unfruitful. Jesus tells a story about a certain ruler who prepared a great feast and he invited people. But when it came time, they had excuses. They had excuses. The one said, I bought a piece of ground so I can't come. It's kind of like my business is booming. Hey, I got to get up to the cottage. I need downtime. Uh, I just don't have time for the kingdom stuff. And by the way, the ruler eventually said, no one who had an excuse is even going to partake of what I've prepared for them." But I want you to remember this: that Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he received the 10 suggestions. No, 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 I'm wrong, wasn't I? It's commandments, <laughs> right? Commandments. And the fourth one says says this, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, withdraw from common employment and activities, and dedicate to God. Think about that. God says, I want one of your days. He says, I want you to dedicate that day to me. Another man says, I bought five oxen, I I, got to go test them. He had other priorities than the priority of the kingdom. Now, five oxen aren't bad. Sports, family, golf, and I was told I can't mention golf without mentioning hunting and fishing. (laughs) Business, entertainment, none of those things are bad. But when we put them ahead of the kingdom of God, then they become the thing that chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. We're doing something else. But worship will revive you. Worship, it it realigns our priorities. And in worship, we connect with our creator. Another one had the excuse that says, I've married a wife and therefore I can't come. Now, let me just remind you. I I know people think I'm going to get married and it's just going to be bliss and love and everything's going to be wonderful. I have a verse for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, those who marry will have trouble. How many married people are here? How many know that verse is true? All right. It's not, it's not that, that there's going to be, everything's just going to be hunky-dory all the time. You're going to agree on everything all of the time. And, and again, it is a blessing from the Lord. Right? That's what children are. But the purpose of marriage, Malachi 2 is, says, is that you produce a godly seed. Right? Right? It's not that, that you have fun. It's not leisure and entertainment. It's to produce a godly seed, to lead your family in the kingdom of God. That's the purpose. If Jesus was in charge of your calendar, what would change? Now, how many of you know we receive him as Lord? That literally means king. He's King Jesus. Now, if he was in charge of your calendar, what would change? I, I can say this, that your commitment to the kingdom would not be sporadic. You'd be committed. You'd be in church. You'd be reading your Bible. You'd be praying. You would be serving. The question would be, would be this. Who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? I, I know I want to become a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What does our king want us to do? And, and, and now for my second and last closing. Ephesians 4, verse 11. says, He, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Other translations say, so that his people would learn to serve. So my purpose is not to do ministry. My job is to prepare you that you would learn how to serve. Another translation says to prepare God's people to serve. Then the body of Christ will be built up. I really believe that the biggest problem in the church today is that we believe, as Christians, that we're just supposed to sit around and have mental assent to some things and not actually get out and begin to do good and be rich in good works. You know, the Bible tells that we are called to serve. My job is to get you ready to serve. Now, let me just get something ready here. The Lone Passer You know let the pastor do all the praying and do all the preaching and do all the counseling and visit all the widows and take care of the poor and find people that are addicted and get them delivered and find the troubled and help them out and visit all the hospitals and check out all the new people and visit all of the graduating people and go to every wedding and be at every funeral and make sure that everything gets done because he is super pastor. <laughs> ta-da, ta-da. <laughs> Let me tell you, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The Bible says so that his people would learn to serve and his body would grow strong. The body of Christ grows strong when every believer is serving. Every believer is serving. And it's my job to equip you to be able to serve. To put the kingdom of God first. That you would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? If you're here today, but you're not where you should be with God. Maybe at one time you lived for God, but you've drifted away. Maybe you've never really lived for him. I think you know that God loves you, but did you know that there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or make you love him, love you less? And that he has something that he wants for you. He wants forgiveness for you. And he wants the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. And God wants to offer you. In fact, he is offering you forgiveness today. And you may think that you've gone too far, done too much, but no life is too dark, no sin is so shocking, no attitude too bad, no sin so perverted, no pit so deep, no addiction so dreadful, that the blood of Jesus will not reach down and cleanse you and make you new. And if you're here today and you say, I want to receive forgiveness, And I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand when I say three. And we're going to pray together. And God is going to meet you right here in this place today. And you're going to leave forgiven and right with God. As you lift your hand, the first thing that you're saying is you're saying to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying today. I'm coming in. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus and I'm holding nothing back. Two, now as you lift your hand, you say today, he's coming into my heart and he will blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of his kingdom today and forever. Three, just lift that hand. I want to receive forgiveness. I want to surrender my life today and I want to know I'm forgiven right with God. On my way to heaven, thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand and that hand. Are there others up in the balcony? God bless you. 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 you. Others include me, Pastor. I'm not right, but I want to get right. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Would everyone please take one hand, place it over your heart, lift your other hand up towards heaven, where our help comes from? I want you to make these words your own. Say, Oh God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. And I receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for me. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. I'm forgiven. My past is gone. I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.